This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You know, there's a reason why, and some farms don't have to separate their calves from their cows. You know, whatever works for each farm is great. That's what I really like about agriculture is it's not nothing's the same from farm to farm. Everyone does, you know, what works for them, which is awesome. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams. And today on the show, we have Tessa Passion from Ludwig Farmstead Creamery. So Tessa has an animal science background. Um, She worked with dairy cows in college, and now she and her husband are working at Ludwig Farmstead. And she's going to explain the whole process, you know, what homogenization is, what pasteurization is, and also how many times milk is checked before it is bought by the consumer. Newsflash, it's a lot, so it's always going to be safe no matter what. Um, She's going to tell us kind of all that goes into them um, producing milk, making cheeses and stuff like that, and also a lot of misconceptions in the dairy industry. And, you know, it's 2020. You've heard this a time or two on the podcast. A whole bunch of different dairies and farming operations are being impacted by COVID. And Ludwig Farmstead is um, the same. They're struggling with COVID. And Tessa is going to talk to us today about how they are switching their products from going directly to restaurants to grocery stores and what all that entails. And um, also, it's something that you know, a lot of consumers have questions about why do dairy people separate the calves from the moms? Well, there's a lot of research and a lot of reasons why, and Tessa is going to explain that. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. It's got a lot of great nuggets of wisdom about dairy and cheese and also show cows, which is really neat. I never showed cows or anything, but it seems really, really neat. And also, this is super, super exciting. If you have ever wanted a Farm Traveler t-shirt, you might get one very, very soon. So we actually did a first run of 20 Farm Traveler t-shirts from um, going to my friends and family to see how they would sell. And we wound up selling like 18 shirts in a couple of days. 
So they're gonna be here in a couple of days and then I will give them out to the people that bought them. And if you're one of those 18 people, thank you so much for buying a shirt. I can't wait to see all the places you go in them and we'll try to do some contests to where you show me where you're wearing your shirt and stuff like that. We're gonna do a second run, which I have to talk to my accountant, AKA the wife, um, and see how many we might get in our second run. We might get 50, we might get 100, we will see. If you want a shirt, if you might be interested in getting a shirt on the second run, uh, let me know. Go to our Instagram page, which is just farm underscore traveler, or it's, it's also linked in the description of this podcast. Message me, tell me you want one, tell me how you want one or five or 20 or whatever, or email me at farmtravelerseries at gmail.com, and those will be coming out very soon. Um, super exciting, and thank you again to all those people that got one um, for this first run. So uh, on with the show, this is episode 78 with Tessa talking all things dairy. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast, Tessa Passion. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, I am excited to talk with you. It's always really cool to have dairy farmers on the show. I'm always wanting to learn more about dairy. Um, so tell us a little bit about, about yourself, kind of how you got started with the dairy and kind of what you're up to. Um, so I originally went to, well, I guess we could backtrack a little bit. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, um, so not many dairy farms around in that area. Um, my uncle had a dairy farm up in Wisconsin, about an hour north of Green Bay while I was growing up. So I kind of got my feet wet in the dairy industry there, um, fell in love with cows and I went to the University of Illinois with a uh, major in a degree in animal science. So while I was there, I worked at the university dairy. And then I picked up another job working over at Ludwig Farms, um, which is more of like a show cow farm compared to just a commercial farm. Um, and then I've just been here ever since. My husband and I had the opportunity to take over management of the dairy and creamery uh, about two years ago now. And that's what we've been doing. That's super cool. That that sounds neat. So, I mean, it sounds like you have an animal science background, so you're probably an expert when it comes to animals and animal health. Is that right? I, not an expert. I'm learning. I learn every day. But <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure it's an ongoing process. Yes, that is true. That's cool. So looking at you guys' Instagram, and it's so cool, you, you share so many pictures of like really cute calves and cows. <laughs> it's so funny. So thank you. It looks like you guys are um, predominantly Holsteins, like the famous black and white cows. Is that right? Yes, we are about 95% Holst black and white Holsteins. We have a few red and white Holsteins, but yes, just Holsteins for now, at least. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what is the whole milking process like for you guys? I mean, like how many um, head of cattle do you have? What's the whole milking time frame like? I mean, I know a lot of people, it's like three to four times a day. So what's your average kind of milking day like? Um, we milk twice a day. So 5.30 a.m., 5.30 p.m. Um, all of our milk goes straight into cheese production. So we don't bring any outside milk in and we just keep everything on the farm. So we luckily don't need necessarily that many cattle to produce what we need for cheese because our average our herd average is just around 80 pounds of milk a day per cow so right now we're milking 20 cows and that is sustaining us at the creamery for now um if things ever were to change over there we would we could buy a couple more cows or something like that but right now we're in a good we're in the sweet spot for 
what we need to do to make cheese. Okay, awesome. So going off of that a little bit, can you kind of explain what exactly homogenization and pasteurization are? I know one mixes it um, with like the solids and the fats in the, in the milk and the other one kills off any harmful things. So how exactly do those processes kind of make milk a little bit kind of safer for consumers to drink? Um, well, yeah, that is a good question. So homogenizing, um, you know, everything is kind of like you were saying is, um, you know, you're reducing the fat and everything like that and the cream rises and that's separating everything. Um, it's, you know, the cream from the top, which everyone typically thinks of when they think of, you know, fresh farm milk and whatnot. Um, and that's all under like a high pressure type of a situation. Um, pasteurizing, you heat everything up to a certain temperature, um, usually or to around like 145 degrees for a certain amount of time. Things are all different now with ultra pasteurized, flash pasteurized, and even some companies are taking lacto- lactose out of their milk. And that's a whole different process that I'm not that well versed in, but, um, what it comes down to is any product that you see on the shelf in the store is safe, depending on whatever process, you know, they use, whether pasteurized, ultra pasteurized, homogenized, all that type of a thing. Um, right. So with us at the creamery, we actually have three raw milk cheeses. So they actually do not get pasteurized at all. And the rule that we follow, um, according to the FDA is those cheeses have to be aged, aged at least 60 days. We age ours. One of ours, our most popular selling one, Kickapoo is a raw milk cheese. And we age that one for a minimum of eight months. So it just kind of all depends what the end products you're looking for. And, you know, that determines the process that you take to get there, I guess. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, so I've interviewed a bunch of dairies and one from uh, England, and they actually don't, apparently, it's super common that they don't homogenize the milk over in England. And so they have, I mean, unhomogenized milk, so it eventually separates. You got the flat, the fats on top and the, the rest on the bottom. And I was like, oh, that's different. And they're like, yeah, we love it. We don't like what you Americans drink. And I was like, oh, well, it's vice yeah. versa. Like, I don't know of any person here in the U.S. that doesn't drink unhomogenized milk. So that's funny. Yeah, I know raw milk is starting to kind of pick up in popularity, um, which if it did, then you would definitely have that, you know, thick layer of cream on the top, especially if you're milking like jerseys or something like that, that's known for more of a butterfat content than Holsteins. Um, You would for sure get that thick layer. I occasionally put some milk straight out of our tank in my coffee in the morning, and that is super, it's creamy, it's delicious, it's good, but you don't drink it right away you'll definitely get that that layer right at the top oh that's that's interesting i mean that's pretty fresh i can imagine so i mean that's that's yeah. a good thing to take advantage of on on your farm super fresh and i know where it comes from so that's why i'm fine doing it exactly so um how important is cow care on a dairy because i feel like of all of all the the different farms and ranches in the agriculture community i feel like dairy is the one that is often attacked with people that know nothing about agriculture. And they're like, oh, people don't care about animals. And, and they talk about dairy farmers specifically. But I mean, you and I both know a happy cow is going to produce milk and cow comfort is to the utmost important or uh, to the utmost importance to you guys. So how important is cow care for you? Oh, it's huge. Um, we have, so we have 
half of our barn is um, designed specifically for show cows. So they're in like a box stall pen on sawdust. And then the other half is in free stalls. That's with, we bed with sand. So they get fresh bedding about once a week. We're always in there, you know, making sure it's free of manure and pushing the sand around for optimal comfort because when cows are laying down chewing their cud, that's when they're making milk. So they got to be happy in order to lay down and be comfortable. Um, and we also have pasture access here too. So they get to be out there. We regularly will, um, my husband will go and mow the pastures to make sure it's, you know, the grass is low enough for them. It's free of weeds and whatnot. And just things on like more cow care, um, the aspect of that, like we have our hoof trimmer come out at least twice a year. He does all that. And we have nutritionists to make sure they're getting their optimal diet to make sure everything's functioning properly in their room. In so they get, they're taken care of better than I am. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I bet they've like, I mean, I mean to be a dairy farmer, you've got to keep all this data on them, right? I mean, how much they're eating, how much their each cow is milking during their um, like after they give birth and all that stuff. So, I mean, you're, mm-hmm. you're constantly tracking all that information, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. And each cow is completely different. So you can, they all have their own unique personalities and you can kind of tell when things are off, you know, if they're not necessarily feeling good or if something's bothering them, you can, you're around them enough where you can usually tell, Hey, you know, something's not right with Bernice. I need to go figure it out. And it's pretty easy, you know, to nail it down and fix things once when you know your animals, which is great. Gotcha. That makes sense. So we were kind of talking about this when we were emailing back and forth that you guys also make cheese. So can you kind of explain the basics of how the whole cheese production process works on a smaller dairy like you guys? Oh, yes, I'll try. I'm not the head cheese maker, um, but <laughs> I know a little bit. So we make cheese three days a week. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we pump the milk straight from our tank over to the creamery. Um, depending on what she, sorry, one of my cats is attacking boxes next to us. Um, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> one of, um, depending on what cheese she's making that day depends on how the rest of her cheese making schedule goes. So if she is going to make a cheese that needs to be pasteurized, then it takes a lot longer because she has to heat up our huge vat of milk up to that 145 degrees for a certain amount of time in order for it to be pasteurized. If she's doing one of our raw milk cheeses, that kind of changes. Like each cheese has its own recipe that she has in her, you know, in her mind that she follows. Um, But what's kind of interesting about us is we have this big vat where, um, you know, all the milk gets pumped into. She has the cultures and whatnot, but the cultures and the curds are so sensitive for the first 45 minutes that she actually has to hand stir our giant vat full of cheese for the first 45 minutes before she's able to let our mechanical agitator agitate it for the rest of its process. Um, So I think that's interesting and just unique to us that everything, you know, we do the first part of it initially by hand just because we can't you know, we found that if we let the agitator mess with it for that first 45 minutes, it damages the integrity of the cheese. So that's unique um, for us. And then depending on if she's making mozzarella, we hand stretch all our own mozzarella. And then for curds, instead of having like a machine go through and, you know, make the curd shape, we actually mill all of our own curds too. So 
Our cheese maker has some pretty strong muscles over there. I would not <laughs> mess with her. <laughs> oh, I, can, I, can, I imagine. That's so cool. So mozzarella is my favorite cheese, so I'm super jealous that you guys make it. We'll have to send you some. We, oh, deal. We it all. It's, it's great. <laughs> oh, I, have mozzarella. oh, it sounds like it. So does it matter? I mean, if you want to make like mozzarella or cheddar or anything, does it really matter what type of cow you're getting the milk from? I mean, does the, the fat in the milk play any role in it or how, like, what's the kind of process there? Um, people would like to say that jerseys will typically be the best breed just because their butter fat content is higher. Um, but we have found that with our Holsteins, we have a pretty high butterfat content for our herd. So it does not, at least for what we've been making, um, affect our cheese at all. But there are a bunch of different creameries out there that make seasonal cheeses, um, depending on when the cows get let out to pasture. And there's one creamery that I cannot think of the name of it, but they only release a certain amount. You know, they can only make a certain amount. It's that first, like, couple of weeks the cows are out on pasture that you can kind of taste the difference in the cheese just because the content of the milk changes from being inside for the winter and then being able to graze outside on the pasture for the spring. So it's pretty interesting that some places can nail down, you know, certain cheeses depending on the cow's diet for that time of year. Um, but we do not do anything like that. Um, so I guess to answer your question, Yes, some creameries probably rely more on higher butter fats and whatnot, um, but our cows are fine for what we produce. Gotcha. I mean, it just sounds like no matter what dairy and what, no matter what cheese, it's always going to taste a little bit different. And so yeah. every cow is going to bring like their own unique kind of kind of flavor and taste of that cheese or to that milk. So that's really yeah. neat. So I know that, so on a dairy, you guys collect the milk, you said twice a day from the cows, it goes in a big tank and then it's stored there basically until it's picked up by whoever processes it. Is that right? Yep. A lot of farms, depending on the size of their herd and their tank, they'll have, um, it get picked up every day. Some places will have it picked up twice a day after each milking or whatever it is. Um, it just kind of depends on the size of your farm, the size of your bulk tank and just who hauls milk for you, or I guess what you do with it in the long run. Gotcha. Like and yeah. And I know a lot of people say, Oh, there's antibiotics in your milk. Well, you guys are checking once you're collecting it from the cow, once it goes into the tank and once it goes into the truck, it's getting checked at every stage to make sure it's healthy. Is that right? Oh yeah. It gets checked. There's, you'll have a state public health um, person that comes in randomly and he checks your tank for samples Ours gets checked again once it goes over to the creamery. Um, but we have a record here. And since we're so small, like I, you know, I do all the milking. So I know who needs to be dumped and who doesn't need to be dumped. But you can also run tests on the milk before you put it in the tank yourself over here to say, hey, is it clear or is it not clear? But we always have that um, double check over at the creamery when she pumps it over and then we actually have another tester come out once a month and he analyzes um like our fat our protein and everything like that so we test it often gotcha and it sounds like it's a well-oiled machine i mean you guys know what you're doing and you're checking it each and every step to make sure that you're giving consumers something safe and i mean of course you're putting this stuff in your coffee so you want it to be super safe for you i mean so right. obviously <laughs> yep <laughs> 
Um, yeah, and if we were just a regu- uh, commercial dairy, it gets tested by the milk tester um, before he even puts it in his big truck, and then it'll get tested again once it gets to the plant. So there's many checks, you know, before it gets to the grocery store just to make sure it's safe. All these checks and balances is such a good idea, and I think a lot of people don't realize them that they're there, so that's great. Um so what are what are the biggest misconceptions you see people have about the dairy industry or just about agriculture in general? I mean, I know that there's a lot of misconceptions out there when it comes to anything animal science related or animal ag related. So what are some of the biggest misconceptions you see out there? Oh, man. Where to begin? <laughs> I'm sure the list is pretty long. Um, well, I can say for the dairy industry, the biggest one is that when you separate the calf from the cow that they're just, you know, distressed for the, for weeks on end. And, you know, it's just this horrible traumatic experience. And that is not the case at all. Um, some dairy cows, especially aren't, some are really good mothers. Some aren't, some will clean the calf off and, you know, then you put a scoop of grain in front of them and they're like, Ooh, food. And they go over to that and they don't even care. You have some that, you know, we'll just look at the calf and be like, what the heck is that? And they won't even clean it off. Or occasionally you'll have the cow that'll try and kill their calf. So, you know, there's a reason why. And some farms don't have to separate their calves from their cows. You know, whatever works for each farm is great. That's what I really like about agriculture is it's not, nothing's the same from farm to farm. Everyone does, you know, what works for them, which is awesome. Um, But, you know, we separate the calves because they're born just like human babies without an immune system. So they could be born in a clean environment, but something either in the air or say, you know, the cow's, the calf's mom had poop on her tail and smacked her in the face or something like that. And then she's exposed to all these bacteria that can get that calf sick. So we like to separate the calf, put her in their nice, clean, sanitized, power washed hutch, um, make sure we can have them get off to the best start that they possibly can. So that's something that, you know, was frustrating to hear all the time. Like you have your calves and cages and whatnot, but I mean, you know, they're in there for a reason. We need to get them off to a nice healthy start. And then once, you know, they're healthy and happy and they have developed an immune system, then they go into a group home. It's not like they're separated forever. You know, it's just to ensure their health. So that's something that always gets me upset. Um, let's see, what else can I think of? You always have the people too that, you know, say, oh, the animals should be outside all the time. They should be able to be free. It's like, okay, well, our cows here have the choice to go inside or outside. And in the summer when it's 90 degrees, they want to be inside in the fans and under the sprinklers. They don't, you know, they don't want to be outside in that. So a lot of people just aren't necessarily educated on where their thoughts are coming from. Um, and I think that's something that we're trying to fix, hopefully, in the agriculture industry. We're gotcha. trying. I'm happy that there's a lot more people, you know, on Instagram and Facebook that are sharing their story. Um, everyone gets their fair share of activist attacks. I know I've had mine, um, but I'm happy that it hasn't stopped people from sharing, you know, what they do and what they love. Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, I think it's a key thing you're talking about kind of the cows and their comfort. I mean, 
like people want to stay inside, like everybody wants to go outside, but of course we want to enjoy the air conditioning. And so cows are just the exact same. They want to be comfortable. And like you said, if it's 90 degrees outside, they're just going to stay near the air conditioning, near the sprinklers, near the fans. So in a lot of places they have access, but they just stay inside because they're more comfortable. So that's a great point. I love that. So we were talking that you also have a lot of show cows or show dairy cattle. So that is something, so I was an FFA growing up and we weren't one of those programs that had show cattle. So what can you tell us about your show cattle? What's the whole purpose of it? And what's the whole process like of getting your dairy cattle ready for a show? Um, well, they are very spoiled. To <laughs> They get washed at least once a day. Um, it all just kind of depends on what age of cow that you have that you're getting them ready for show. Um, you definitely want them halter broken, which you can never have enough practice walking them around on the halter because you can have the best cow on a halter. And then when it comes to being in the show ring, she just won't walk, which is can be the most frustrating thing um, to see. But it just, uh, well, I guess for like heifers and cows and stuff like that, you know, you want to make sure they're, it just kind of depends. Um, it's a long process. You always want to make sure they're looking good, healthy, you know, just kind of basic things like that. But just being able to walk them on a halter is huge for being in the show ring. You could have the best looking cow out there, but if she can't walk on a halter and, you know, have them set up how they need to be set up to be judged, you're not going to, you're not going to get anything. So it takes a lot of patience and care to get them ready. We actually, some of our ladies are leaving to go to the show in Ohio this coming week. So it's been a lot of washing them every day, walking them on halters just to make sure they're ready to go. And it takes a lot of work, but it's worth it. Oh, I can imagine. So what exactly are the judges looking for? I know it's things like kind of the appearance of them, how their health looks, how their udders are, especially for, for dairy cattle shows. So I mean, what are some like physical things that those judges are looking for in your cows? They're definitely looking at their udder for cows that are reproducing milk. Um, they're like a nice straight back. They call it all their dairy qualities. Um, so they look just to see the overall strength of the cow. You can tell a lot by their feet and how they stand, um, how their hips are in relation to their pins, which are those two bones like that you see on either side of their tail. Um, you want to look at how they stand. Is it, you know, do they stand kind of crooked? Are they straight? How they hold their head up? You know, how it calls, it's they, you know, people will call it their fill, like how they look with their rib cage and the depth of them. And it's, everything is broken down. You know, each aspect of the cow is broken down, which is crazy. Um, it's cool, but it's definitely, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a beauty contest, but <laughs> It is. I have some of my favorite cows here, like Bernice, for example. She is a great producer. She's, you know, 110, 120 pounds a day, but she has a very thick neck. So she is not considered a show cow. She's just one of our, you know, good, solid cows here. That's a good producer, but she would never make it into the show ring. She's got, she's got a lot of neck skin. She's not the prettiest in that sense. Oh, she's pretty in her own terms. She is pretty in her own terms, but not in the show world, at least. 
Yeah. So I've seen a lot of pictures of people share and I mean, like consumers, and they don't know that it's a dairy show cow. And they point out and say, oh, this cow looks malnourished. You can see their hip bones poking out, like you're saying, their pine bones or their pin bones. Well, that's like with a dairy cow, you want all the weight in their udders. And so, I mean, and obviously to produce milk, you've got to be well fed. And so these cows aren't starving in any way, shape or form. They are totally healthy. It's just that that's kind of just the way dairy cows are, right? Right. Yeah, that's another good point to bring up. I have a lot of people that will say, oh, my gosh, I can see the ribs and I can see that. It's like, well, that's how dairy cows are. Like, they're not beef cows. You know, beef cows will put all of their energy into getting fat and putting muscle on and, you know, a meat product. And dairy cows, they put all of their energy into producing milk. So it's completely different. And not a lot of people understand that, that, you know, they're definitely not skinny and malnourished it's just that's just how they're built it's almost like comparing a pit bull to a greyhound you know they're both dogs but they definitely don't look the same and they're not meant to look the same because they're built for different reasons gotcha that's a good point and yeah that's something that if you're kind of looking at a distance you see it you might get a little outraged but once you do research you're like oh that's perfectly fine so i should leave it to the experts right (laughs) that's awesome Well, this is cool, or this has been cool learning about your creamery. I mean, do you guys have any big plans for the next five, 10 years for you guys, or are y'all kind of hoping to maintain and produce a lot more milk and a lot more cheese? We are definitely hoping to maintain. Um, COVID has kind of put a pause on us just because a lot of our cheese was in restaurants um, and just them kind of either closing or operating at not full capacity that has not been helpful here. So we've shifted a little bit and are in focusing on grocery stores more. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with our area at all, but we're in Schnucks. Um, It's a grocery chain around central Illinois in the St. Louis area. Um, We're in a couple other local stores around here, and we're pushing to break more into like the Chicago and Indy areas. Um, We do really well with the farmer's markets around here. We originally planned on having farmer's markets on the farm this summer, but that unfortunately was not able to happen. So ideally, unless another pandemic happens next summer, we plan to do more on farm events because we do a lot of tours here too, where um, we'll show everyone the farm side, we'll let you milk a cow, feed a calf, and then we'll go over to the creamery and we'll hand stretch mozzarella for you. So you get kind of the whole experience when you come out here. But we weren't able to do a lot of those this year just because of everything going on. So hopefully next year things get figured out so we can have more people out here and tell our story is the plan. Yeah, that's a good plan. Yeah. I hope things kind of get better. And that's so cool that you do farm tours. I've heard a lot about people doing various farm tours, whether they're a dairy or ranch or they just are like an orchard or something. And it's great that consumers can go there and see exactly what's going on behind the process. So I mean, whenever you guys were doing that, did you see any like aha moments from anybody that was like, oh, now I understand what a dairy is? Like, did you have any moments like that? Yeah, there are a lot of people that were like that. And what's kind of unique about us is since we are small, all of our cows, they do have numbers, but they also do have names. So I know all of their names, which a lot of people are like, how can you tell the difference? They're just, you know, they're just (laughs) black and white. I'm like, well, I mean, I get that, but you can tell the difference. I know it might not be easy for a lot of people to see, but they're different. And I'll, you know, I'll rattle off all their names. And that just, you can tell that not a lot of people really realize that 
farmers do care about their animals and we, you know, we know who they are and we like, you know, we like working with them every day. Otherwise I wouldn't be here every day, twice a day, you know, when it's cold outside, when it's raining, when it's 90 degrees, it's all, all of it. I wouldn't be here if I didn't love it. So it's nice to show people that we do care and we're not just, you know, everyone thinks that we're just in it for the profit or, you know, animals are just commodities and that's just, that's just not true. Yeah, that, that's such a good point. I mean, anything in agriculture, you're not getting rich. And so, I mean, you're yeah. in it because you love it. You love the industry. You love working with cows. So that's awesome that people are kind of seeing that and they're relating to it. That's good to hear. Yeah, and- it's nice. I've had a couple of people with just some of the pictures that I post on our Facebook and Instagram. They'll check in and they'll be like, oh, how's Chewy doing or how's this? And that makes me happy that people you know, are following along and they're you know, happy to see the happy animals that I post all over yeah. Facebook and Instagram. Oh, that's awesome. And before I forget, so you said that you, most of your cheese was meant for um, restaurants. And so you guys are slowly trying to get into supermarkets. What What's that transition like? I mean, do you have to make sure you're, you probably have to package it differently. So what's that whole process like of going from mainly to restaurants to also including um, supermarkets? Um. When we were selling to restaurants, we would typically sell like by the whole wheel. Um, so the restaurant can kind of cut it how they want. And, you know, depending on what they were doing with it, either cheese plates or whatever, they could kind of, you know, cut it down that way how they wanted. When we're selling to grocery stores, everything is by like a cut. Um, so it's just packaged by each, like, depending on what cheese it is, either a four ounce or a five ounce wedge of cheese or you know, a little ball of mozzarella or whatever you have. So we do a lot more packaging of individual cuts now. Um, But luckily we were in a decent amount of stores and, you know, little cheese shops around here where we knew what we knew what we were doing. Now we just had to do it at a bigger scale. So. Right. Yeah. We've, we're figuring it out. There you go. One step at a time, I guess all about kind of scaling up. That's awesome. Well, if, if we're ever in Illinois, if we're around Chicago or Indy, I'll be sure to check out and see if you guys stuff are in supermarkets and I will buy it. That's awesome. Yeah, or we're just two <laughs> hours south of Chicago. So you might as well just come on down and get the whole experience. Oh, heck yeah. Even better. <laughs> even better. See the cows, see old Chewy and, and all the other cows and I'll get to know them by name. <laughs> yeah, I can have you milk a cow and everything. It'd be fun. Oh, deal. I've actually only ever milked one cow. And really? it was in, yeah, it was when I was doing my student teaching in Pensacola, Florida, and I was at, at, an, at an ag program and we had, I think, three cows and one of them had mat- mastitis, I think. And so we were trying to like help her get through that. Mm-hmm. And I milked her. I was like, oh, well, this is fun. Luckily, she didn't kick me. So that was great. Yeah. So it was a good there, time. Yeah, that's another thing that's kind of fun about the tours is when I'm always like, okay, do you guys want to milk a cow? Some people are totally for it and some people are just completely freaked out. And I always pick the tamest cow, the one that, because we feed them grain while they're being milked. So half the time they just are more concerned about eating than what's going on. Um, And a lot of people just have the idea that you have to like yank on them to get milk to come out. And I'm like, no, you don't have to do that. And once people figured out, they're like, oh my gosh. And you can tell it's kind of, you know, they get excited when they do it. So that's, that's fun. That's something I really like to do because then when, people will see our cheese in the store. They'll be like, Oh my God, you know, I milked a cow there. That's so cool. So I'm just trying to build the connection from product to farmer with the consumer is what I'm trying to do. 
Oh, absolutely. And then, I mean, there's no telling how many people they tell after that, like, oh my gosh, I went to this, this dairy and I milked a cow and, and it was the coolest experience ever. You've got to buy their products. And I can like tell you what cow it came from. Like there's yeah. no telling how many people they're telling. So that's really neat. Yeah. Word of mouth is huge. And that's what really sucked about this year is just, we had some pretty good momentum with tours and everything going on that we were excited to start having farmer's markets here just because I mean, I'm pointing outside, but you can't see what I'm pointing at. But we have like the perfect setup along our pasture where all the other vendors could be and the cows would be in the background. And usually if there's something going on on the farm, the cows, they're like curious dogs. They'll come out and they'll look and they'll see what's going on. So it would have been really unique to have, you know, a farmer's market here, the cows that make the cheese just kind of hanging out and looking at you. But that's for 2021. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, I hope things kind of blow over and everything's back to normal in 2021. So we'll see, hopefully. Well, Tessa, this has been awesome learning about your dairy, cheese, dairy cows, and really pretty much everything dairy. This has been awesome. So if people want to follow you, you've got a really cool Instagram. If people want to follow you and see what you're doing and learn more about dairy, where can they go? Um, My Instagram is Ludwig Farms underscore Tessa is where you can find me. Gotcha. We will link all that stuff in the description for this show. Well, Tessa, thanks again for being on. We'll have to touch base soon and kind of hopefully in 2021, whatever you guys are doing the farm tours and everything and see how you guys are doing. But best of luck and thanks, thanks so much for being on the show. I hope so. Thanks for having me. Anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.